This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is Going Back to Supersonic. The future was always sold to us as new and shiny, better, faster, stronger, more developed. We were supposed to have flying cars and make clones of ourselves that could go to work while the real us slacked off at our house on Mars. And we're not quite there, but at least we have a pretty powerful computer in the palm of our hands, right? And chances are you're using it right now, so it's not all bad. The present is way more advanced than the past, usually. There are some times in history when that's not the case, however. In the ancient era, as one world's dominating power fell to another or collapsed in on itself, the people that followed in its footsteps ran into past ruins that overshadowed their own culture's achievements. Think of Saxons laying eyes on the Roman Colosseum during the Dark Ages, or of the ruins of great Babylonian cities that Alexander the Great stepped through as he marched eastward. In both of these cases, the older civilizations had created things the new ones could barely dream of. That phenomenon isn't just limited to the ancient world, however. Almost 50 years ago, normal people like you and me could sit on an airplane, fly faster than sound, and cross the Atlantic Ocean in about three and a half hours. And here we are in 2022, looking back 50 years to find an amazing piece of technology and design that achieved feats our current airplanes can't, but maybe soon will. So let's get to it. The Concorde is the first and only supersonic passenger airliner. It could actually fly faster than twice the speed of sound, approaching 1,345 miles per hour, while carrying anywhere between 92 and 128 passengers. The Concorde project began in the 1950s when the RAE, or Royal Aircraft Establishment, formed a committee to study a supersonic transport concept. But the designs proposed weren't really feasible at first until the development of the Delta Wing concept. And the RAE, combining their efforts with the French companies Sud Aviation and Nord Aviation. They combined their designs and came up with a slender Delta medium range design. Neither company had worked with high heat metals, so they settled on a top speed of Mach 2, even though originally the French had proposed a Mach 3 design, and also settled on using aluminum for the airframe. Before all this, though, the working agreement between BAE and Sud Aviation was actually treated as an international treaty instead of a commercial agreement. And that's exactly why the plane was named what it is, Concorde. It's pronounced the same in French and English, and it means agreement, harmony, or union. The construction of prototypes began in February of 1965, one being built in Toulouse and the second in Bristol, with the first Concorde taking flight over French skies on March the 2nd of 1969, and it had its first supersonic flight on the 1st of October of the same year. The first transatlantic flight took place on the 4th of September of 1971, and the Concorde was also present at the grand opening of DFW Airport in 1973. It was really a unique 
weird, wonderful plane with all sorts of ridiculous characteristics during flight. And here's a few of them. The aircraft used afterburners at takeoff and to pass through the upper transonic regime and into supersonic speeds between Mach 0.95 and Mach 1.7. And then the afterburners were switched off at all other times. Due to jet engines being highly inefficient at low speeds, the Concorde burnt two tons of fuel taxiing to the runway. And due to the high thrust produced even with the engines at idle, only the two outer engines were run after landing for easier taxiing and less brake pad wear. At low weights, after landing, the aircraft would not remain stationary with all four engines idling which means they always had to be on the brakes to prevent the aircraft from rolling. That's how powerful these engines were. When it would fly at Mach 2, the skin of the airplane would heat up to an incredible temperature to the point where the surface of the airplane was warm to the touch by the end of the flight. The aluminum alloy used could support 261 degrees Fahrenheit. And the plane would cool down as it would ascend, then heat up when it would reach supersonic speeds, then cool down as it landed. But when it landed, it was still a little warm to the touch. And each airframe was designed for 45,000 flying hours. Also, due to compression of the air around it as it traveled at supersonic speed, the fuselage expanded by 300 millimeters or almost one foot. The flight deck between the flight engineer's console and the bulkhead would expand so much the engineer could place their cap in the gap. The surfaces in the cockpit actually became warm as well. And due to the speed the Concorde could achieve, it had to be covered with reflective white paint to help overheating. And the fuel of the airplane was actually used as a heat sink to cool the hydraulics. Another thing is the droop nose. So the Concorde needed to be streamlined. So it had this high pointy nose, which made it really hard to see in front of the airplane, which is kind of important for landing. So the Concorde's nose would droop down or bend five degrees lower during taxiing and takeoff and landing. So yeah, there's going to be pictures in the show notes and you can just see it, it's a strange looking thing. The point of all of this craziness was the performance of the airplane because it could fly from New York to Paris in just under three and a half hours. No other passenger plane could fly higher. So it had its own airway separate from other airplanes. Also at a higher altitude, the winds aren't as volatile. So the paths were always set and they were significantly less bumpy. The cabin, however, was tiny. There was four rows only, but everyone on that plane flew first class. There was also this huge digital speedometer at the front that told you the speed and people would frequently break out into a cheer as the speedometer marked Mach 1 and the champagne would flow. Above all, it was an insanely advanced airplane. Just all of these things don't sound like a corporate thing, right? That sound like something from the future. And it was an experience for those that would write in it. I mean, you were having champagne after you broke the sound barrier and you were just a normal person, not a fighter pilot or anything like that. 
there were originally 67 orders placed for Concords. Not all of them were fulfilled, though. First, there was the oil shock of the 1970s that drove fuel prices up, and the Concorde consumed four times as much fuel to carry one quarter as many passengers as a 747. So the 747, the jumbo jet, had a quarter of the fuel and four times more passengers than the Concorde. Then, in 1973, there was a crash at the Paris air show of a competing airplane, the Tupolev Tu-144, which was pretty much a knockoff Concorde, like a carbon copy. So that raised a lot of concerns about the Concorde. And there was also rising concerns about the environmental issues that a sonic boom could have in addition to just the takeoff noise. So after that crash, all orders were canceled except for Air France and British Airways, which were the two carriers associated with the countries that were developing the airplane. At the same time, the U.S. banned supersonic flights over the continental USA, mostly over noise concerns, despite the fact that the Concord could fly as high as 68,000 feet, which would remove almost all sonic boom issues from the surface. Also, at this time, what would have been the Concorde's biggest rival, the Boeing 2707, which was going to be both bigger and faster than the Concorde, was canceled. The Concorde was never a commercial success. Most of its orders were canceled. Its rival was canceled. Its clone failed. But the Concorde itself kept flying. On the 25th of July of the year 2000, Air France Flight 4590, after departing from Paris, Charles de Gaulle, en route to John F. K. Airport in New York City, crashed, killing all 100 passengers and nine crew members on board the flight and four people on the ground. It was the only fatal accident involving the Concorde. The official investigation stated the crash was caused by a metallic strip that had fallen from a Continental Airlines DC-10 that had taken off minutes earlier. This fragment punctured a tire on the Concorde's left main wheel bogey during takeoff. The tire then exploded and a piece of rubber hit the fuel tank, which caused a fuel leak and led to a fire. The crew shut down engine number two in response to a fire warning, and with engine number one surging and producing little power, the aircraft was unable to gain altitude or speed. The aircraft entered a rapid pitch up and then a sudden descent, rolling left and crashing tail low into a hotel. Prior to the accident, the Concorde had been arguably the safest operational passenger airline in the world in passenger deaths per kilometers traveled with zero. But there had been two prior non-fatal accidents and a rate of tire damage some 30 times higher than subsonic airliners from 1995 to 2000. Safety improvements were made in the wake of the crash, including some secure electrical controls, Kevlar lining on the fuel tanks, and specifically developed burst-resistant tires. And the first flight after the accident took place on 9-11 when the Concorde landed in New York shortly before the 9-11 attacks. On the 10th of April of 2003, Air France and British Airways simultaneously announced they would retire the Concorde later that year. They cited low passenger numbers following the July 25th crash, the slump in air travel following the September 11th attacks, and rising maintenance costs. 
Airbus had made the decision in 2003 to no longer supply replacement parts for the aircraft, and although the Concorde was technologically advanced when introduced in the 1970s, 30 years later, its analog cockpit was outdated. There had been little commercial pressure to upgrade the Concorde due to a lack of competing aircraft, unlike other airliners of the same era such as the Boeing 747. And by its retirement, it was the last aircraft in the British Airways fleet that had a flight engineer, that is to say, a third crew member. Other aircraft, such as the modernized 747, had totally eliminated the role. The final flight of the Concorde worldwide took place on the 26th of November of the year 2003, with a landing at Filton, Bristol, United Kingdom. And that was the last commercial supersonic flight that any human has ever been on. In the year 2003, for a plane that was developed in the 50s, built in the 70s. What happened? I started the show talking about what the future was supposed to be. It was always supposed to be bigger and better and faster. Instead, what happened was that the future for aviation became bigger in terms of the airplanes, but it never got better or it never got faster. Instead of airplanes pushing how quickly we could travel and how fast and how accessible the world was, they became buses in the sky. How many people can we fit in there? When the Concorde was developed, we had the idea of a future of speed for going luxury. Now, all we focus on is luxury and cost and profit margins. The priorities of airliners and of people that would ride in them shifted. And I think this highlights what happens to technology as a whole. The simple fact is the Concorde didn't have great computers in it. The rockets that got us to the moon had a computer less sophisticated than the one you're listening on right now. But our focus has been to derive entertainment from these devices, to derive comfort from our technology, and to be okay with not pushing the envelope. And that's fine, because that's how we got here. I mean, if not for these advances in technology, we wouldn't have cell phones, we wouldn't have the internet, we wouldn't have streaming services, we wouldn't have cars that are safer than ever before, we wouldn't have self-driving cars that you don't even have to drive, we wouldn't have electric vehicles, we wouldn't have the type of technology that allowed for the COVID-19 vaccine to develop, right? And those kinds of things are a lot more beneficial than traveling six times the speed of sound, but... They're a lot less romantic, right? And it kind of shows that we as a civilization have kind of been cool with no longer progressing, with no longer testing our limits, with no longer seeing how fast, how high can we go. And it always seems strange to me that it would happen in history where a civilization would fall and the one that follows it couldn't achieve the technological heights of the other, but for us, it's different because even though I started saying that that's what's happening here, it's not that we can't, it's that we won't. There's going to be an attempted revival of supersonic air travel by a company called Boom Aerospace, which are designing a plane that's very similar to the Concorde, if a little smaller, but it looks a lot like it. 
There was plans for it to launch this year, but those got delayed. And I kind of hope it comes to fruition and that we have supersonic travel again. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, because our priorities have shifted. It's not bad per se. It's just like I said, less romantic. The Concorde remains the symbol of when people as a whole kind of wanted to push the envelope. And that's why it's arguably the greatest passenger airliner ever made. That's it for this episode of The Irrelevant. Thank you so much for listening. I wanted to share a little bit about one of my favorite airplanes. I love airplanes and I love what they symbolize, the engineering behind them, all that good stuff. I hope you enjoyed the story and it kind of made you reflect a little on our advances as a civilization and kind of where we're going forward. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. See you next time. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.